Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good? We doing well? We excited? Daylight savings time week is over, right? This is the start of a new season. We can be done with that. I don't know about you, but I've just been dragging all week long and just excited for a new start. So uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a new series. Um, We've never done a series like this before, but it's called This Is Us. And we started week one with Abraham, looked at the life of Abraham and how God used Abraham in his overarching story. Then the the last week we did was Moses, uh, how God used Moses to rescue his people Israel from Egypt. But today we are talking about, any guesses? David, we're talking about me today. It's going to be a great day. We're going to have a lot of fun. He is my favorite character uh, besides Jesus, of course. That's the correct answer. Jesus, then David. Uh, But we're going to be talking about David today. But before we jump into David, uh, I want to do something a little different for you. I want to invite you in. I want to give you a task. Okay, so you have a job this morning. I'm going to show you a series of pictures. And here's your job or here's your task that you have to complete. You have to tell me what all of them have in common with each other. Can you do that? Are you up for that? Okay, so here we go. Here's the first one. Let's start with this. Donkey from Shrek. Okay, probably not the direction you thought we were going. Let's go next picture. Uh, Marvin Harry. Any Home Alone fans? Anybody? Okay, a couple. Come on, let's wake up. Here we go. Another one. Timon and Pumbaa. Can we go flashback to the 90s? There we go. Timon and Pumbaa. Uh, What about this? Joker in the Dark Knight. Right, that one's evil. Let's move on. Uh, Dory. Dory, Finding Nemo. Anybody? You probably forgot of the, but with the movie already. All right, next one, Han Solo. Star Wars fans? There we go. Now we're getting in touch. And one more, I think. Anybody know who this is? Wilson. I love that. The first service, they're like, what? I got a Wilson ball. I had to have one for this sermon, right? Wilson, and this is in the movie what? Castaway. I love it, right? Love it. So here's my question. As I hold Wilson up, Wilson, you just take a picture, right? Wilson was in church today. Uh, as we look at all these pictures... Here's my question. What do they all have in common with one another? They're all sidekicks. Phrased it a little bit different in the movie industry, all of them are lead roles or supporting roles. They're all supporting roles in these movies and yet we look at the movies and we love these movies. So these are like some of the best selling, most viewed, enjoyable, you know, like celebrated movies in our culture. And we love them. And when we see the character, we know exactly what movie it's talking about. Well, this is why it's so interesting and so fascinating is none of them are the lead role. None of them. And yet their roles as supporting roles, for many of them, Wilson would be an exception, uh, skyrocketed them into other movie arenas, right? You don't see Wilson ever again. Wilson was kind of a one and done. But everybody else, you see, I mean, look at Harrison Ford, for example, how his career just skyrocketed afterwards. What we're talking about today as we look and as we dive into deeper into the story of David is seeing David not as a lead character, but seeing him as a what? As a supporting role. And David, in my opinion, is one of the most significant supporting roles in the story of Scripture, and we have so much to learn from him today. And so we're going to jump in, but I want to give you just a little context so you understand why, why we are at the story or the the part of Scripture that we're going to jump in, why we are starting here. And so David, history of Israel, right? Uh, It started with God's promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a nation, and you're going to be a great nation, and your nation, your people will bless the world, and I will use 
use you to do that. And then they get enslaved and they become enslaved in Egypt and they're crying out, God, save us. Please rescue us from slavery. And so God sends Moses, a guy who's not qualified, who's not gifted at speaking, who doesn't want to lead, who's so content just being a hermit in the desert, doing his own thing. And God says, no, I've selected you to go rescue my people Israel. This now gets us to David. And the people of Israel come to God and they say, God, we want a king. And God says, I am your king. They say, no, we we want a king we can see. We want a human. We, We want someone we can follow. And so God says, okay, I'll give you Saul. So God gives them a man named Saul. And Saul was a great king at the beginning. But there's something that happened with Saul that Saul went from being a support character He went from being a supporting role to all of a sudden Saul's kingdom was no longer about God. Saul's kingdom was all about who? Saul. And when he became self-centered and everything revolved around Saul and this was mine and now I'm not gonna lose this. This is my kingdom. These are my people. This is my wealth. This is my power, my influence. God says, "You, you messed up. This isn't about you and your story. And so God says, I've selected a new king. And so we go to 1 Samuel and it says this, the, the Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, God sends him to the house of Jesse and he says, I will reveal to you who the next king is. And so he shows up and there's seven brothers in the house with him. And this is what Samuel says to Jesse, their father. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. So seven brothers in the house. And as they go one by one by one, starting with the oldest, going down to the youngest. And every single one of them, Samuel says, is this, is this he, God? And God says, nope, nope, next one. Is, is this one? Nope, next. This one, all the way down. So he says, there's, there's one more. We didn't think it would be him. We didn't even call him in. He's just out with the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We won't even sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully among David. Wow. Do you want to know one of the craziest parts of this story? That David was between the age of 10 and 12 when that just happened. Can you imagine being the older brother in the house at that point? Saying, time out. There are seven of us, older, more qualified, next in line. There are seven of us better than the choice that you have selected. And yet here's David and he's anointed king over Israel in the presence of his brothers. But here's what's crazy too is David, he did not experience the fruition of the anointing to become king for another 25 years. What did he do after being anointed? Any guesses? What did David do? He's 10 years old. He just got anointed. He's going to be the next king of Israel. What does he do right after that? 
he goes right back to the sheep. Can you imagine that being a 10-year-old boy and you go, I, somebody just told me I'm gonna be the next king of Israel and now I'm back with these sheep so I'm just gonna keep playing my harp and keep leading them to greener grass and keep fighting off enemies and it wouldn't be for 25 years until David would experience what it means to be a king of Israel. Let me just ask you a quick question. Do you ever feel like you're a supporting role instead of the lead role? Because here's David being chosen and selected and, and it's easy to go, what, I'm, I'm gonna be the lead? I'm gonna be it, I'm gonna be in charge, I'm gonna be our leader. And then he lives for the next 25 years, not as the lead, but as a supporting character. Do you ever feel like that in your life or in some context in your life? Well, here's what happens 25 years later. David takes the throne, has an unbelievable first year. Unbelievable, conquered every enemy. Every enemy, every foreign power that came and opposed them, they were conquered, they were destroyed. So David has more wealth than he's ever had in his life. He has more power than he's ever had in his life. He has more prestige, his name is more known. David is the king of Israel. He's no longer support staff. He's now the lead character in his story. And he finds himself on the rooftop of his palace. This is where we're gonna jump in. This is 2 Samuel. If you have your Bible, open up your Bible, read along with us. 2 Samuel chapter seven says this, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Here's David at the top of like his reign, right? He, he's doing well, he's first year and he's looking out and he notices that the ark of God, the presence of God, who's been with his people uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the ark of God who has lived in a tent, a battered tent for 400 years, moved place to place to place is where he sees God and then he sees himself in his own living quarters and where he lives. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan his prophet saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Before we keep going, here, just a question I wanna ask just to get personal. Is there an area of your life or maybe even just your whole life, do you ever feel a tension in you and your relationship with God of the lead role? of the one who's in charge, of the one whose life is all about. Do you ever feel like there's a tension between God calling you to be the lead role in your life or God being the lead role in your life? Let me just throw a couple of these out here just to think about these. Um, as a student, maybe uh, if you're in college, maybe you've asked this question, mind holding that. Uh, maybe you've asked this question, what do I want to do with my life? Anybody else ask that question? 
for me, I asked it about every week and a half because I would pick a major and then I would change the major and I go, I definitely don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And so I changed it again and changed it again. No joke, five major changes in the first semester. So here's my life. Maybe this is your life. Just wondering, God, what are you, what are you trying to make my life about? What do I want to do with my life? What do I want to be? What do I want to make? Where do I want to live? Maybe, maybe it's a little bit different though. Um, with your family, do you ever see your family Maybe that's a spouse or kids or parents or siblings. Do you ever see them through the lens of what do they do for me? Or what are they here for for me? They make me better or they're supposed to encourage me or they're supposed to provide for me. Or How do you see your family? Ask another one. What about job or career? Maybe in the job or career that you're in, maybe, maybe the tension you feel is this is what I want to do. Not so much this is maybe God what you want me to do. This is what I want to do. I've worked for this. I've studied for this. I've prepared for this. I've made the right moves. I've played the game well. This is what I want to do. A couple more. Money. If we had access to your bank statements, and credit cards, and if we could all see it, would it speak to one who you are in charge of your life? Would it speak to the fact that you're in charge and you decide and the money is about you and it's spent on things for you and your glory and your excitement? Or is it about something greater? How about one more? Do you ever relate to God from the standpoint of what can God do for me? Do you ever feel that tension that exists in your life. Is this all about me? Or is this about something greater than me? And it's so funny because oftentimes these things happen or decisions get made or we find ourselves later in life realizing that decision after decision after decision has been made all about me. And that's what happens to David in this story. That he's up on the palace, he's on the roof, and he's looking out at his kingdom. He's looking at, I mean, just the land as far as you can see, it's his, and he owns it, and it's his nation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he sees something that corrects the thought, and he sees God, the one who had given it to him, living in a tent. And David makes this mistake and it's the same mistake that so many of us make. And it says, David jumps into the role of lead character and says, God, I would like to do for you. I would like to build something for you. And while it's easy to skip over or miss it, listen to this. God is the one who gave and blessed and supplied and brought up David from nothing. And now it seems the tables have turned that David is looking to give back from a position that even he could. So let's keep reading here. 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 8. Now then, Tell my servant David, this is God talking to Nathan. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I did that. I brought you up. 
I've been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time that I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. And then this is such an important line right here. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. David, you need to understand something here that I am God, you don't do for me. I'm the type of God that I do for you. And that the lead role in my story isn't you, the lead role is me. And I've invited you, I've, I've invited you, I've brought you up, I've, I've created you to be a part, to be a supporting role in my story. This is what I will do for you. And then read David's response uh, I'm going to read it. I don't have the text for you here, but this is his response in 2 Samuel 7, verse 22. David says, How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise so that your name will be great forever. Then the people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Samuel talks to David and he says, God wants to do something for you. He wants to build a house for you. He wants to build a line for you. And David's response is, what? God wants to do this? For me? God wants to do this for his story and he's inviting me to play a role in it? L listen to this, this is his promise. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. He's talking about Solomon, the next king that's gonna come after him. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. David, it's not going to be you. It's going to be Solomon. It's going to be your son. But wait, then something switches. Because God talking about Solomon here, he, all of a sudden he stops talking about Solomon and he starts talking about someone else. And I want you to think, who might this be? He says, I will be his father and he will be my son. Let's keep reading. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. 
but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. God was speaking of someone much greater than David, much greater than Solomon, who would establish a kingdom on earth that would never end. But here's the issue. If you look at David and you look at his kingdom about 400 years later, David's kingdom has dwindled. It's no longer a great and powerful empire. It's now become a handful of followers who meet in secret, kind of in a shattered or tattered type of tent with no ruler on the throne. Here's the question. And the people of Israel asked God the same thing. They said, God, what happened? Where are you? Don't you remember the promise that you made to David? Psalm 89, 49 says this. Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? God, we remember you made a promise to David that his kingdom would never end, and yet here it is, and it looks like it's coming to an end. And this is when God said, hold on, I'm going to speak through my prophets, my people, and I'm going to talk about this kingdom that's coming that you don't know about. You can't see it. Here's what he says. This is in Amos. Amos 9, verse 11. Prophet Amos says, In that day I will restore whose fallen shelter? David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be. What about this next one? Jeremiah 23, 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for who? David, a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Let's do another one. Ezekiel 37, they will live in the land I gave my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And who? David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Isn't it so funny it doesn't say king? Who could they have been talking about? Let's go to Luke 1. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him, say it with me, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And there's another one we have to read, Luke 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem in the town of 
David because he belonged to the house and line of David. Do you see a theme here? That what God promised to David hundreds and hundreds of years earlier is he says this, you wanted to build a house for me, I will build a kingdom out of you. And he said, out of you, David, out of your line and your lineage, there will be one who will come who will be king forever, who will usher in a kingdom that is unlike any kingdom you've ever seen, that will bring power and that will bring life and that will live and never, ever die. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child that we now know as Jesus. This is the greatest story that has ever been told. And it's unbelievable. But I want to ask you something that we talked about at the beginning. Do you want to be the lead character in your life? Just as you, as you think about your life and what you want to do and where you want to work and how you want to spend money and how you relate to whatever it is. Do you really want to be the lead role in the story that God is writing? Because here's what we also see about Jesus who played the lead role. Is Jesus, 33 years old, after three years of ministry, he's walking after being beaten and flogged by human hands who goes and picks up his own cross and puts it on his back and as he's walking, makes his way all the way up to the top of the mountain where his hands are nailed to the cross and his feet covering each other are nailed to the cross and he's lifted up for the world to see and to mock and ridicule. And this isn't even the worst part. Here's Jesus in front of everyone and then faces the wrath of God for us. Is that a role that you would like? Because I'll just tell you, for me, I'm great being a support. Because Jesus did what we couldn't do. And Jesus took our sin and our shame and put it up on the cross because he loved us. And we just sang it, the cross meant to kill was our victory that this was the establishment of a new kingdom that would never, ever end. And God has invited us to play a part of it. David understood that it was so much more important to build a kingdom instead of a castle. And that's something we need to let sink in to our own lives today. Think about this. The way that David led, he was a shepherd, just a shepherd boy, a 10-year-old boy, shepherd who loved his flock, who took care of them, who led them to greener pastures and led them to water. And when bears and lions and enemies came to attack, he fought them as one who was meant to guard and protect his flock. When David was a father, he was a father to his children. You see the parallels here? He loved his children. 
He loved his kids from a deep, deep place in his heart. As a leader, he constantly saw his position to point people to the Father. And went, I know you guys are pointing at me and you think I'm great and you think this kingdom is great, but there is one greater whom I am here to serve. And I am a mere reflection of who he is and what is to come. He was a leader who pointed to God. He was a warrior. He was one who fought and fought spiritually for his people, who prayed for his people and labored over his people for the good of his people. He was a spiritual warrior. And then this, he conquered Goliaths. Giants in culture and in society who moved against the kingdom. He he went, no, 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 no. My God's already won. And it doesn't matter if you're small or weak or young or ill-equipped or nervous, whatever it is. He says, no, 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 I'm a child of God. God has already won. And so whatever giant, whatever wrong, whatever brokenness that's in my community, I will step into you as a representative and reflection of God. David never saw his role in life to build his own castle. He saw his role to build an incredible kingdom, one that he didn't lead, but one that he submitted to. It started with Abraham. And it started with a promise that God made to Abraham. And he said, through your offspring, all the world will be blessed through you. And then it went to Moses and the people were enslaved and in bondage. And God sent Moses and he said, you're a representative of me and I will rescue my people, Israel, not just from the slavery to the Egyptians, but from a much bigger slavery and the slavery to sin. And now we culminate at this point in the series with David. I'm sending you a king, not a king to lead you, not a king to make the story all about him, not a king that just he sees himself as the lead. No, no, no. I'm sending you a king that will point to me, a greater king and a greater warrior and a greater shepherd and a greater father who will fight and defend and protect and provide for his people. God said, I am creating a kingdom in your midst that will never, ever end. I wanna ask you a question. Where is God calling you to be a Wilson in your life? Not to be a lead, not to be the star, think about what a stupid movie castaway would be if Wilson was the lead character. (laughs) Where's God calling you to be a lead in your life? To be one who sees every opportunity to point to one greater, to point to one who loves more, to point to one who, who blesses us richer, to point every part of our being and our life, no matter what role, what phase, what age, what education, what nationality, anything. God says, I'm looking for people who want to be outstanding supporting characters because I'm in the midst of telling the greatest story ever told, and I want you. It started with Abraham, it went to Moses, it went to David, and this is the coolest part, is this is us. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. 
But we're so grateful for who you are. We're so thankful that you invited us to be a part of your kingdom and the building of your kingdom, one that will never, ever end. We love you. And God, we just lay down before you right now anything that we have to surrender, anything that we have to give up, anything that we have to run from, God. We just give it back to you and ask that you would use whatever it is we have to offer for your glory and your kingdom. God, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. We're just gonna move on to the next part.